0: You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. As I'm sure you're aware, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And as such, I wanted us to discuss today his legacy, his life and memory, and um, by that I mean I want to look at his faith in politics here for a few minutes, um, and how it was all intertwined and what we might learn from that. Uh, to truly understand Dr. King's faith and how it influenced his politics, one must understand his reading of the Gospels and his understanding of Jesus of Nazareth. There's no question that Dr. King's practice of nonviolent resistance was deeply influenced by specifically the Sermon on the Mount and the crucifixion. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, we find Jesus teaching us to love our enemies. It's a pretty profound idea. To not return violence with violence and hate with hate. Um, to even bless those who curse us, he says. Likewise, in the crucifixion, we find Jesus even praying for his enemies while they are murdering him. Pretty profound. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he said. These ideas deeply influenced Dr. King and they were, they were at the core, not just his religious beliefs, but his political strategy as well, fighting against racial injustice. But to be clear, Dr. King didn't adopt nonviolent resistance because he just thought it's what the Bible said or what Jesus said. I think what really convinced him was that was the pragmatism and the effectiveness of it? I think he was convinced of its pragmatic and effective nature of nonviolent resistance to break the cycle, as he believed it was a cycle, to break the cycle of violence and hate that defined race relations for so long in the United States. Meeting violence with violence and hate with hate, he believed, would only spur on this cycle and not solve anything. And he was proven right, which I think is a testament not only to his courage and his brilliance, but to the brilliance and the timeless and, and we might even say divinely inspired wisdom of Jesus of Nazareth. Cornel West, who is a modern day, well-known black Christian philosopher and activist, says this about Dr. King. The American dream is individualistic. King's dream was collective. The American dream says, I can engage in upward mobility and live the good life. King's dream was fundamentally Christian. His commitment to radical love had everything to do with his commitment to Jesus of Nazareth, and his dream had everything to do with community, with a we consciousness that included poor and working people around the world, not just Black people, end quote. That was Cornell was. And this was at the heart of Dr. King's theology and politics. But to be clear, Dr. King got these ideas, not just from Christianity, not just from the Bible, but also from Mahatma Gandhi, A lot of people don't know that. Who Dr. King revered and believed was divinely inspired himself, even though he wasn't a Christian, but obviously a Hindu. And this gives us a window, I think, into Dr. King's liberal theology, as some would call it. Dr. King was what many would describe today, even then, a liberal Christian you're familiar with what that means you're liberal <laughs> we're liberal in general here right and dr king was a liberal christian who didn't believe people like gandhi were darkened minds lost souls in need of conversion to christianity and otherwise doomed to an eternity in hell he didn't believe any of that no he 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 believed that people like gandhi were just as enlightened and beloved of God, as he was. But what's important to understand here is that his so-called liberal theology was absolutely tied to his liberal politics, I believe. One cannot really understand one without understanding the other. He believed in the brotherhood of all mankind, the sisterhood, not just socially speaking, but spiritually speaking as well. This was intertwined. Again, one cannot understand how he arrived at his progressive social views without also understanding how he arrived at his progressive spiritual views. They are intertwined, I believe, for him. He went to Crozer Seminary in Pennsylvania, an American Baptist seminary, which, if you know anything about Baptists, American Baptists are over here on the left. (laughs) They are considered the liberal wing of the Baptists denomination. And we know from his seminary papers, we have his seminary papers, some of them, and his journal entries and the personal letters he wrote, we have these. And we know from these that he had serious doubts about the supernatural. This isn't talked about much. He had serious doubts about the supernatural. He was not a biblical literalist. He believed the Bible was Sacred, yes, and he believed it was a source of great wisdom and even divinely inspired in parts, but he also believed it was imperfect and contained myths and folk tales. For example, he didn't believe John the Baptist probably ever met Jesus. I don't know why he thought that, but apparently he didn't. He didn't believe in the virgin birth and he believed that we all have the capacity to be just as divine as Jesus of Nazareth ever was, he once wrote this. The true significance of the divinity of Christ lies in the fact that his achievement is prophetic and promissory for every other person who is willing to submit their will to the will and the spirit of God end quote. In other words, Dr. King believed anyone who lived a life committed to the values and the virtues of Christ, love and justice and mercy and compassion and fellowship and, you know, the love of all, anybody who did this was as divine as he was. And this, this idea has been in the church since its inception. That's not originally Dr. King's idea or a modern idea, but it became labeled heresy in the third and fourth century during these controversies in the church of that period. Uh, over These were called Christological controversies over the divinity of Christ. And the church arrived at a, at a very different understanding of Christ's divinity. It became very exclusive. The fourth century church ruled that Jesus was divine in ways that we are not. But again, prior to that moment in church history, other views like that of Dr. King, the divinity of all, these views were pervasive in the church. But nevertheless, when Dr. King said and wrote these things in the middle of the 20th century, he was considered a heretic, unorthodox, a a liberal Christian, we might say. Which is interesting, because I think if if evangelicals today knew this about him, they would want nothing to do with him. Um, he'd be called a woke Marxist leftist Christian, <laughs> you know, dedicated to critical race theory and all these, you know, all these things. They'd want nothing to do with him, and they wouldn't claim his legacy as their own, which, of course, they do. It's easy to do that with someone who's dead, Right. And it's easy to misremember or misrepresent the past as they do. I think Dr. King believed that that fundamentalism was completely at odds with the gospel and actually something that got in the way of social justice. I think Dr. King believed that fundamentalist, Christian fundamentalism was completely at odds with the work of social justice. And I think he rejected fundamentalism, not just because he thought it was based on ignorance and unsophisticated and a naive reading of the text, but I think he rejected it because, again, it was a distraction from what he believed the gospel was really about. Love and justice and liberation for the poor and the powerless. And to this end, Dr. King once said this, any religion, not just Christianity, any religion, he says that professes to be concerned about the souls of men and is not concerned about the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them and the social conditions that cripple them, is a spiritually morbid religion awaiting burial. Pretty strong. He was talking about Christianity, of course, particularly white evangelical American Christianity, he was saying that it was a dead religion awaiting burial. This is similar to something James Baldwin once said, another Black intellectual and Black activist from that same period. Baldwin said, if the concept of God has any validity or any use today, it can only be to make us larger and freer and more loving. If God cannot do this, then it is time we got rid of him. He's outlived his usefulness. It's time to bury him. And the churches that, the white evangelical churches that house that God, God had become uh, sarcophagus of this dead God. And even now we can smell the divine decay in the church. That was their point of view. I think Dr. King agreed with Baldwin on this. And this is where King's work really intersects with that of other countless Black theologians and Black intellectuals over the years, not just James Baldwin, but with the late Dr. James Cohn, who taught for many years at Union Seminary, who knew King, who marched with King. Cohn only died a few years ago, but also Frederick Douglass, who lived a century prior and whose ideas I think laid the foundation for King and Baldwin and Cone, Douglas once wrote this, false religion regards itself simply as a form of worship, an empty ceremony and not a vital principle regarding or requiring active benevolence, justice, love, and goodwill towards men. It esteems sacrifice above mercy, psalms singing above right doing, solemn meetings above practical righteousness, a worship that can be conducted by persons who refuse to give shelter to the houseless, to give bread to the hungry, clothing to the naked. Such a religion is a curse. It's not a blessing. The Bible addresses all such persons as scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, who pay the tithe but have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That's Frederick Douglass, 19th century. And it sounds a lot like Cone. He sounded a lot like Cone and Baldwin and King, or we should say they sounded a lot like him. He came a century prior, laid the foundation. And they all talk about how this otherworldly religion that values pietism and, you know, the hereafter, the afterlife over social justice, that values personal salvation and and eternal life in heaven on high over the liberation of the oppressed here on earth, they all say that such a religion is a false religion. Such a gospel is a false gospel. Such a Christianity is a false Christianity and for this reason i think dr king was was deeply suspicious of fundamentalism because he saw how it functioned as a distraction it functioned as an as an idol it functioned as an escape from reality and from one's responsibilities in the world and i think he he saw how it functions as a religion that supports white supremacy because it allows the white church to ignore or downplay Christ's teachings on social justice and focus instead on the supernatural and the afterlife mansions and glory on high everlasting bliss dr king saw how such an other world religion was used to perpetuate racial and economic injustice and in white supremacy and yet this is complicated I think this was complicated for him because I think Dr. King also understood that the hope of heaven on high was often the only hope the poor had in this life, in this world. The only hope they had of liberation and relief. The black church absolutely embraced this idea that Jesus came to give us everlasting life and perfect peace in heaven because this was often the only hope they had in a world where they had no power to change their circumstances. I think Dr. King understood this. I think this was a tightrope for him in some ways. But I also think that he and the black church did not delineate between an otherworldly and thisworldly understanding of the gospel the way the white church did. For the black church, the kingdom of God was meant to be a present reality in the social order as much as it was meant to be a future reality for the deceased. And I'll end it there today and open it up for questions and conversation. I hope I've given you um, much to think about regarding the life and legacy of Dr. King and how his faith and politics intersected. May we remember his life and legacy this weekend, consider it and always. But with that, let's, uh, we've already had communion. Um, questions, comments, remarks about any of that? Yeah. Bless you. It was a sneeze, right? Yeah. Yeah, Leanne, there you go. <laughs> You know, it's all good.
1: <laughs> no, I just remember growing up, even in the, the nice Lutheran church, I was raised and lucky to have a pretty decent experience there. But even just the use of the word worship, like you were talking about with the Frederick Douglass quote, even as a kid, I was like, why, why are we worship, like the thought in my head that I couldn't rid of was Jesus is dead like why do we need to worship him (laughs) like I don't get it like why are we and also like God's fine like if he's all powerful like why does he need us singing this really lame song um so I just like never understood like worship ever if he's dead like he's. I don't know I never got it so that's my (laughs)
0: a fair reflection i think we've all wrestled with that one before yeah oh emily do you want to respond to that
1: no i thought that was cool totally lame songs too they were super lame um no i was just gonna say like while you were talking like i think before i don't remember who said it now a lot of quotes in there i don't know which one it was but i was literally thinking about what jen said last week about how how she's a mother now she understands like god's love if we were his children. And I thought to myself, um, any church or religion that enforces the things that you shouldn't do rather than the things that you should do is really, that's, it seems more about control in in the now rather than like what's coming or what someone does out in the world, because essentially like there is a. weird situation with like the selfishness or the social irresponsibility of um i just worry about what i do and i don't get involved in these other things but that's sort of like exactly what we're supposed to do is worry about the other things and so it just that type of christianity that conservative far right is i was going left when i said right but that's not the point um it's just it, it was always so confusing to me And I don't understand how, like, I asked my mom, like, mom, would you sacrifice one of your children to show your faith? She wouldn't. No one would. So, like, why is that something that they, oh, this person has so much faith, and you look up to that person, I'm thinking, they killed their kid. Like, what do you, what? It just, it doesn't, it just seems like, yes, the Bible has wisdom in it. Like, I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. that said that, where it's like, yeah it's a book of like wisdom and divine divinity in parts but it's like all the other stuff just seems it's just used as a tool to I guess the white supremacy type control patriarchy type situation so it's interesting
0: I appreciate that reflection you know it's sometimes we get criticized you know as progressive and liberal Christians for not believing in anything anymore, when the fact is, no, we we believe even more now than ever in these virtues of love and justice, and and that's what we're doubling down on, as opposed to the religious law, the conservatism, the control, the these the the this you know, that stuff. We're not doubling down on that, anymore. <laughs> doubling down on this over here. Yeah, you know. yeah, that's important. That's an important distinction. Thank you. Yeah. I think mean, Dr. King was about that too, right? Let's let's be let's believe let's let's be religious. I think is totally he was an ordained minister. In fact, one of the greatest stories about him, my favorite story about him, was um, this was towards the end of his life. It's kind of sad, but um, the story goes um, he was found up late one night on his hotel balcony, singing hymns to himself and crying. He was in his pajamas. And one of his um, I guess, uh, travel mates found him out there. He, he had handlers and helpers, and they begged him to go back to bed. And he was just despairing. And he said, I just want, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to go back and, and lead my little church. He was the pastor of the church, you know, a little Baptist church. I exactly where. He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to go home and pastor my little church. And and they just begged him to go back to bed. And he said, I will, I will. And so they left him alone. When they when they came to get him the next morning, they expected him to find him dressed and ready to go. Oh, I found him still out on the balcony in his pajamas, singing hymns to himself and crying. You know, and and I think you know, it's kind of a, a testimony to who the man was. He was a devout man. He was he was a devout Christian. But his Christianity was about love and justice and and, and caring for others. He was fully committed to that, and that was his faith. And so I just want to. You know, we 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 can I'm encouraging us to be the same way. You know, he wasn't anti-religion, he wasn't anti-Christianity, was we pro those things, but this particular understanding. Of, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, somebody else today. Okay, cool, cool. Well, let's uh well, conclude and say our benediction together. Will you join me in this now? As we go from this place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Amen. Thanks for being, everybody. Go in peace.